This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got a buddy over here. Buddy, we go way back. What, five minutes? Uh, but. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, Tommy Spalding. Tommy, how are you doing today? Wonderful. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. So, I feel like we would know each other just because we have a mutual friend, Matthew Kelly. What about one that guy? One of, the, one of the best guys in the world. Yeah. He's all, you can listen to him in his Australian accent talk all day and you know, hear him talk <laughs> about dreams and all the stuff that he's doing. But uh, we could have a podcast just on Matthew, I'm sure, but the guy is phenomenal. But yeah. we're here to talk about Tommy Spalding, and you're on the show, so thanks for being with us. So like every show, Tommy, I always go back and kind of decide uh, what's helped help you become the man you are today. Kind of what's the Tommy Spalding backstory, if you will? Yeah. Well, obstacles and struggles. Um, I graduated high school literally probably at the bottom of my class with a 2.0 GPA. I, I tell people I graduated with a 4.0 if you took my <laughs> GPA and he added to my college GPA. That's right. Um, just really struggled academically. And so life wasn't easy, you know, growing up in high school in the upstate and struggling with dyslexia. Um, and then I joined a group called Up With People right out of high school at 17. Because wow. no college would accept me with my terrible grades and GPA. And I traveled all over the world with this international leadership program at 17. And that one year turned into nine years traveling to 83 countries. And 25 years later, I became CEO of that organization. And so much of my message and who I am today is this upstate New York dyslexic kid that never been on an airplane before, never traveled outside of really New England, got to travel literally all over the world and live in Asia for four years and Australia for two years and Europe for four years and got to really see and love and, and serve the world through this organization. So that's amazing. A lot of, lot of um, blessings to them. Yeah. And you were the youngest uh, CEO of that organization, correct? I was. I became CEO when I was um, 35 years old. And um, that was a very humbling experience. <laughs> yeah. So 17, so never did the traditional, you know, the traditional college type thing, correct? I did. I, I okay. finally went back to, I finally did go to college. I went to a school called East Carolina University. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. I saw that yeah. you were the outstanding alumni of the year a couple of years ago. Which is ironic because I also graduated with a 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Hey. That's all right, man. Look what you're doing now, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. So what was your upbringing like? Mom, dad, I mean, all that kind of stuff. What do you think yeah. you learned in that, in, from that deal? Humility. My, my mom stayed home. Uh, she, she never graduated college until after we graduated high school. She went to college, became a teacher. My dad was a public school teacher. My uh, grandparents were hairdressers from Italy. Um, so I grew up very, you know, um, just humble. And all my aunts and uncles and, you know, cousins all became school teachers. and um, you know, I, 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 I wanted to become a teacher. I just couldn't become one because I couldn't pass the test to become a teacher. 
Isn't that amazing? The read and my dyslexia. So um, I fell into a different, um, you know, line of work. And now yeah. I, I teach, but not, you know, in, in the classroom. I teach the world about servant leadership and authentic relationships. Amazing. And books and stuff. Amazing. Yeah. I'm going to edit this part out, but can you step back just a little bit? I want to make sure you're hit. There you go. Yeah. Probably, yeah, perfect. And we'll make sure they see all your face. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of learning. And, and obviously we could talk about that stuff for a long, long time. But when, when you, you've studied leaders and all over the world, so you're, you're getting the, the best of the best and learning from them. And what are you finding? And that's probably a tough question, but what are you finding that, that maybe the one or two or three things that you find consistently happening with uh, leaders at the top of their, uh, top of their game? Yeah. Um, I remember when I was a kid and I found out Santa Claus wasn't true. It broke my heart because I was late bloomers that just believed in what I was like still. And I, and the analogy is when I started becoming on the speaking circuit and started meeting um, incredible leaders and starting coaching and consult and and train on leadership, you you know, you've meet, you meet most of the fortune 500 CEOs and you friends with a lot of them. And, and a lot of it was like meeting Santa Claus uh, and, 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 and finding out he wasn't true. Meaning when I met these leaders, um, a lot of them weren't humble and a lot of them were genuine. A lot of them were, were narcissists. A lot of them were totally successful and their people hated them. And um, it broke my heart actually because I yeah. leadership. And then you meet these amazing leaders and they're all about themselves. And it's the same that in my profession. You, met, you mentioned John O'Leary and Matthew Kelly. These, these guys are like me. They write books and they, they speak. They're the real deal. Yep. But I can name, and I would never do this, but I can name 50 authors that are just terrible human beings. They're all about themselves. And so it kind of breaks your heart a little bit. Yep. Because there, there, there's a reality that the more success in life we get, the, the, the more arrogant we become. And heart-led leaders don't believe that. They believe that the more success you get in life, the more humble you become. Mm. But to answer your question, Brett, the, 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 the one trait that I feel that the great leaders, the really ones that have significant impact with their organizations, is that the more success, the more positional authority they have, uh, the more influence they have, is the more humility they have. Yeah. That's just a beautiful quality when you can be kick-ass, successful, top of the food chain, and then you're deeply humbling and you're serving other people. Right. It's, it's really hard to do, yeah. but when, when you do it well, there's nothing you can't achieve. Yeah. And don't you think too, the deeper conversations with those people too? I mean, like, and I say with those people, like with anybody, whether they're, you know, the second command or the bottom of the totem pole, that, that's a big feeling, right? To be able to be that heart-led leader that you're able to have conversations with those people, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And we were just at our firm's Christmas party on Friday and I had a conversation, we're named nameless, but uh, of, of, some, of a previous life and, and they were talking about that, you know, just how different it feels at our firm and, and uh, the, the values of the conversations that they're able to have now is completely different, right? You get caught up in some of that stuff. So I'm glad to hear that. That's I didn't think that was the route you were going to go, but I'm glad you did because I think that's, uh, that's important, especially the ones like you're saying, these are the ones at the huge, huge corporations. And, and yeah. what, are their, what are their personal relationships like? Do you know? I mean, obviously you said their, their cultures may not like them, but what about their personal relationships? Are they pretty much the same way? Exactly, the same way. Um, the way you treat your wife and your children are the same way you treat your executive assistant. Yeah. And, and compartmentalize the way you treat people. And I love when you say, you want to really get to know someone, watch how they treat the waitress, the Uber driver, yeah. 
attendant or the bank teller. And when you're around people, I, you know, as an author, all I do is watch and observe. Yep. I love watching successful people and how they treat and behave in public and private settings. And you're often the same. Yeah. So I know you're an author. You've got your two books. You've got, it's uh, just not, uh, it's not just who you know. And the other one is about heartlet leader. Two totally different things, right? One's about servant leadership. One's about the authentic relationship. So uh, talk to us because in our world, in, in our firm, we do talk with our clients about that authentic relationship and there's no transaction. And I think you said that earlier before we were recording, it's not about having a, a transactional relationship. It's about having a real relationship. So talk to us about that from your first book. Again, it's not just who, you know, yeah, I read Dale Carnegie's book, you know, how to win friends and influence yeah. people, you know, years ago. And you know, so many people think it's the, the, the pillar book on networking. And I just grew up with, I'm, I'm one of those anti networking people. And it doesn't mean I'm socially awkward. I love people. But if you define the word networking, Brett, what does it really mean? You meet people to help who? Yourself. And if you live a life where you're always meeting people to help yourself, you're living a very selfish life. Yeah. And the most successful leaders and the successful people and salespeople, whatever, I've met, embrace the four words of leadership that I always talk about. It's, it's not about you. When you, can, you. when you can live a life where it's not about you, it's about serving others. But every relationship that you build, if you're networking, meeting people to help you, what if you change networking into what I call net giving? Where you're mm-hmm. still meeting people, but instead of saying, how can I meet people to help me? How can I meet people to help them? So when you live a life about helping others, it's called net giving, not networking. Networking is all about yourself, about being yeah. selfish. But when you build a business of net giving, where you're truly giving to your clients and your people, You'll have an unprecedented business results. And so the book I wrote, it's not just who you know. It's not who you know. It's how deeply you know people. And when you can know people in a deep, meaningful, authentic, genuine way and not be so transactional and not have relationships so you can get something from somebody, that you'll have unprecedented business results. So the book is really about the five floors of relationships. And floor one is transactional and floor five is a lifelong client um, that would hmm. make you because they know you love them. Yep. I laugh because we call our yes. CFLs clients for life. Yeah. I love you it. have to look at that, your CFL yeah. and, and know yeah. that's a client for life. You make different decisions today when it's about an authentic relationship Yeah. Right? versus yeah. that transaction. Oh, I got paid right. to move on to the next one. No, that's not what it's about. Yeah. Let's keep these clients for life. You know, if you really interview every salesperson or every person in the world, none of them, would say, you know, I really crave uh, disingenuine transaction relationships. No one craves that. But when you only have 24 hours in a day and you got a wife and husband and kids and job and work and a thousand things, you forget to build the meaningful relationship and you just move to the transaction. What can can I do for you? And the book is really about how do you slow down and build a life in a business where relationships really matter. And the goal in life is not to get on someone's Christmas card list. The goal in life is to get invited to their house to celebrate Christmas dinner mm. and really to build relationships that are so real that people would do anything for you yep. uh, because they know you love them. Yep. That's that 2 a.m. list, right? You hear people talk about yeah. that. Who can yeah. you call and literally would get out of bed and come do something for you at 2 a.m.? And yeah. uh, 
Hopefully I'm not up at 2 a.m. That's too late. But uh, anyway, you know what I mean. Um, so talk about your other one, Heart Led Leadership. Both these books, by the way, are number one bestsellers on all the big you know, bestseller lists. You can get them at Barnes & Nobles. You can get them at Amazon, everywhere like that. But talk to us about that second one. Yeah, the second book, The Heart Led Leader, was really about servant leadership. And it was really about love in the workplace. And um, there's so many books on servant leadership. And that's not a concept. It's been around for a long time. But I wanted to write a book that connected servant leadership with bottom line results. Because often servant leadership kind of gets poo-pooed as a good touchy-feely, good thing. But does it really help the bottom line? And so I spent three or four years researching companies and organizations around the world that had unprecedented culture and results, financial results, because they had an operating system of servant leadership. And some people call it servant leadership and some people call it love. I call it heart and leadership. Like how do you truly lead with your heart? And for 200 years, we've been brainwashed, Brett, that we were supposed to take our minds to work, our heads to work and leave our hearts where? Home. Our hearts for our wives, our husbands, our children. But the greatest leaders connect the head and the heart. And the whole book is called The Journey of 18 Inches. And that's the journey between your brain and your heart. Oh, wow. Or 18 Inches. And for years, we took our heads to work. We were strategic, analytical, thinkers, uh, visionaries. We led from our heads. But the great leaders in the world today, the great coaches, the great teachers, the great leaders connect the head and the heart, and they lead from this heart. And they lead with qualities like authenticity and vulnerability and humility and transparency. These words were like touchy-feely, foo-foo words 20 years ago. The smartest person in the room was the leader. But now the command and control leadership is over. People want to follow people that lead with this heart, yeah. lead with love, and they care deeply about uh, making a difference in the world, not just putting money in their pockets. Yeah, so it's a, it leads me to the thought of emotional intelligence versus IQ, right? We've all heard that. IQ is what? How much data you can process per second. Emotional yeah. is how much emotions you can process per yeah. second. And I have found in my experience, the best leaders, the best wealth management advisors, they're not the, I mean, of course they got to be intelligent, right? They got to be smart. They got to be able to talk about certain things, but at the same time, they have to emotionally be smart on how to deal with people's emotions their goals their dreams, right? Yeah. I think uh, the corporate America, the, the business world has been brainwashed that love is a word that should not be in the workplace. But if you go to the dictionary up here and you pull it off and said, look up the word love, it doesn't say not applicable Monday through Friday, nine to five. Right. I, I believe that love belongs in the workplace. It might not be said, like I'm not going to call my customers and say, all of my love you, but you know your love. And that's what servant leadership is about. Yeah. Through your actions, you're showing people you love them by putting them first and, and truly caring about them through your actions. Yeah. But really the heart of the leader. So you talked to two words you said, I talk about a lot on this show. And, and as a father of four boys, it's something too that I, uh, I like to talk about, but it's transparency and vulnerability. To your point, 20 years ago, heck, I would even argue five or 10 years ago, being transparent and being vulnerable was a sign of weakness. Yeah. And, and I think those two words are so big now is the more transparent and vulnerable I can be with my wife, with my kids, right? My clients. With our, it's a sign of strength. It's sign of strength, right? Yeah. And that's exactly what, what I was going to say. And so when, when you hear that, what, what comes to mind when you hear the words transparency, vulnerability? How does that play out in your world with your team? Yeah. Well, first of all, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less often. Mm. And, and, and transparency 
is, 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 is really when you, uh, it's an authentic way of communicating. It, authenticity and transparency are linked because when you're transparent, when people say, well, how's your marriage doing? How are your kids? How's life doing? You know those people that say, oh, my marriage is perfect. My kids are perfect. My job is perfect. Everything in life is perfect. Right. What do you say about that? That's bullshit. Right. There's no one that has a perfect life. Well, how's life? Well, I got a teenager, daughter that's 14. One day, she loves when I take her to school and give her a big hug and a kiss, drop her off at school. The next <laughs> I drop her off at the same place, and she doesn't want to be seen with me because right. we're around. And, right. and she, like, you know, that's transparency. Like, okay, I have a 14-year-old daughter. I'm going through the same thing. Or marriage isn't, you know, easy. And, and when, you're, when you're real, um, it breeds Vulnerability breeds trust. And the more you're vulnerable, the more trust is built because you seem, you know, real and authentic. And transparency and vulnerability are so, so linked. And Brett, you nailed it. These qualities were literally looked at as negative. Yep. You know, negative and weak, right? Which a guy doesn't want to be looked at as weak. So it's usually- A leader has to know all the answers. You have to be strong. And now a leader getting up and saying, I don't have all the answers. and I'm afraid. And yeah. thank God I'm surrounded by wonderful people like you. They're going to help me get through this. Yeah. That's when people want to follow you and love you. There's a marriage book called Love and Respect. It's one of oh, the yeah. marriages book that I just did a Bible study on that in our office. We got five guys that do a Bible study every Wednesday. Oh. And it's amazing. And, and my Bible study has done that book too. And basically, the, 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 so your, your, your viewers know the book. It's basically about how marriages fail and now 67% of marriages fail because really what the marriage is all about is love and respect. And a, and a woman at the, at the core, you know, DNA of who she is as a wife, she wants to feel love. And the core of a man is they want to be respected. And a, and a, and a, and a man is never truly going to love his wife until he feels respected. And a wife is never truly going to respect her man, her husband until she feels loved. So it's this big cycle. When I read this book, I didn't think about, I did think about my marriage, of course, but I thought about something else. I thought about leadership at work because I think, Brett, the same concept is at work. You can respect your leaders because that they're smart and they're articulate and they're successful and they helped you merge the incredible acquisition or merger. You can respect your leaders, but to love your leaders, that's uh, a only earned when a leader is vulnerable and yeah. human. Um, and I, don't, I think we've, we've, we've been brainwashed. We've been working so hard to earn the respect of our people. I don't care if my people respect me. I want my people to love me because they know I'm real and authentic and genuine. And when people love you, they give you your business, their friendship, their, 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 their loyalty forever. Yeah. Um, that's what well, goes back to that net, uh, net giving. Net, yeah. Net giving. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to steal that. I'll, I'll give you credit at least for a while. And so you I can steal it all you want, buddy. <laughs> That's good. Um, talk about, talk about the hard stuff though, right? We can get on here, the circuit of success. So everybody, we all want to talk about success, right? But talk about those times when it doesn't go successful in, in your world. Maybe, maybe the book doesn't get off to as fast a start as you want, or maybe you don't get that big gig that you're going to, you think you're going to get from a leadership standpoint, or we don't get that big client or whatever it is. People are listening, driving around, thinking about it. How do you battle through that, right? And think about the positive and still the love and, and all those things when maybe just quite frankly, you're, you're pissed. Yeah. Um, I think God puts 
challenges in our lives to humble us and to bring us closer to him. Um, but I look at my life in the last three years, uh, to be totally transparent, I had a lot of hardship. Uh, my wife's ex-husband was very difficult uh, to deal with. Uh, so difficult where we need to get a restraining order, hmm. which is very painful uh, because they have a son who is affected by that. Uh, I decided to diversify some, some revenue uh, of my book sales, and I decided to get into a, um, a franchise and a, um, a successful one, Jersey Mike's, which I love. Oh, their- yeah. And who doesn't like Jersey Mike sandwiches? And I met their founder and their COO and I love them as men and said, you know, I can do this. But I went up and lost $560,000 cash in two years. And it was devastating and, and could have lost a lot more because I signed a 10-year lease and personally guaranteed it. And very, very humbling. And then I went to a business with a, a woman that I thought I trusted uh, to teach hard leadership, like a curriculum, a one-year program. And program was fantastic, but our values weren't aligned. And when I tried to exit uh, from the partnership, uh, she got, you know, evil and got a lawyer and it, you know, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to, to get her to drop the case. And, and it's just, you know, you, you get down. Yeah. It's so easy when you have ex-husbands and ex-business partners and, you know, bad business deals, it, it can steal your joy and steal your belief in people. Uh, but you're always going to have uh, obstacles. You're always going to have hardship. And I call this the 10% rule, the 10% critics and crazies. Like 10% of people in the world think that Walt Disney's still alive. Like he's actually mm. like frozen. You ever hear that? Mm. When he, when they find his disease, they're going to thaw him out. Or 10% of the people in the world believe that, you know, Hitler didn't kill all those Jews in, in, in Europe. Or 10% of the world believes that the United States never landed a lunar module on the planet. Oh, yeah. Of the of, of of the moon in 1969, they, they they staged it in Hollywood because we were trying to keep up with the arms race with Russia, and so they staged it. I mean, 10 percent of people will believe this stuff, and ten, you're going to have 10 percent of critics in everything you do. I mean, my books are number one bestsellers. They talk about love. They talk about servant leadership. They talk about authentic relationships. And you go on Google, and there's people that think I'm Satan. Because I'm off. <laughs> right. So you always have your critics and crazies. And the choice is your, you want to live a life where you're listening to 10% of the critics and, f- and going with the 90% and changing the world with them? Or do you want to go with the 90% of the people and learn from your critics, but don't let them silence your heart? And so every obstacle, every, every loss, every bad client, every... Um, financial bad year, anyone that's listening, it humbles us, it makes us stronger. And I look back at my life and being dyslexic and struggling through school and, and, and struggling through college, it was the best thing for me. Yep. And my own 11-year-old son have learned disabilities. It's painful to see him go through that, but I know my son Tate is going to be so tenacious because when you go through obstacles and you go through life without things being so easy for you, um, I think. I think obstacles and challenges are blessings uh, that really teach us to be humble um, and real. No, oh, you're absolutely right. And thank you for <laughs> one, thank you for sharing all that. That's very, very transparent and very vulnerable. Uh, so very thankful for that, Tommy. I appreciate it. Um, talk to us about that. You, you mentioned though, and you, you kind of pointed to your chest for those that are watching is you say you lost your joy, right? So talk to that man or woman right now that you just hit home to 
And they're like, yep, I'm driving down the road. I have no joy. I lost my job. I, I have no money. I whatever, right? I have this ex-spouse that's crazy, whatever it may be. Talk to them. How do you get through that and actually find joy in the craziness? Because you're going to go through the craziness. You can't just eliminate it. So how do we find joy yeah. in that craziness? Well, it's, there's no perfect silver bullet, silver, silver bullet answer. But, you know, this past year, I lost a million dollars with those two investments. And I went through a lawsuit with my, you know, with the business partner. And, you know, I had to get a restraining order all in one year. It was a shit-ass year. Right. And, you know, we were thinking about going on family vacation last year. You know, and funds were a little tight and we didn't have the money to go on a fancy vacation as we've done in the past. And so I went around the table and my daughter said, let's go to Mexico and build homes for the poor. There's an organization, mm. Homes for Hope. It's kind yeah. of like Habitat for Humanity with more of a faith-based um, twist and it's just a different organization. Fantastic. And we went down to Mexico for five days and we built a home uh, for three of those days. And we literally went to the, the, to the site of this dirt path and they were living in a tent. And then my wife and I with a few other couples hand in hand with this mother and father and three young kids built a home and it humbled us and it made us so grateful for everything we have. Um, I take high school kids to Europe or to overseas 40 or 50 that are called the global youth leadership Academy. And I'll never forget and taking inner city kids to Ethiopia. These poor inner city kids that have, you know, their, their, their joys knocked out of them because they don't have a dad or a mom. They have the money. And you take them to Ethiopia and you see the poverty and you see their heart change. So it's all about perspective. The answer to your question is hmm. no matter what pain you have or, you know, out of luck or health or whatever, you're alive and, you're, you, and you have the ability to make things right and, and, and to forgive and to find second chances and to, overcome obstacles and to find that joy. Um, we're really blessed to live in this country, uh, the greatest country in the world. And um, no matter how many times you get knocked in the face and kicked in the teeth, um, we can always get back up and be better. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think perspective. That's a huge word, isn't it? I mean, yeah, there are literally are billions of people when you called your crap year, right? There's a billions of people that would have traded places with you. Yeah. Literally billions. Yeah. Which is nuts because you're like, no, you wouldn't. Not, not my year, you wouldn't. It was terrible. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about your habits and rituals. What is, what's that no-miss type of deal for Tommy Spalding that, you know, this has got to happen today come hell or high water? Yeah, well, the last few weeks I've been swimming every morning. That's something I love to do is to take care of myself. And I, where I struggle is I, I love my wife and children. And when I'm home, I travel to a couple hundred cities a year. And so when you're home, you yeah. invest. And so – I've kind of let myself go and I kind of gained like 15 pounds and trying to get that back on track. But non-negotiables is I, I try to have, you know, time every morning with my faith. Uh, I'm a Catholic and I, if I can hit, hit mass, um, go to mass, I, I love that. Um, I, I love the right handwritten letters. And I have this little ritual where every, every week I buy a roll of stamps. That's 100 stamps and I cut it in half. And the goal is to write 50 written, handwritten letters a week. And the way I kind of get myself to, excited about it is I grew up with nothing. I didn't have any money. We, we, my dad was a school teacher. And so when you grow up, you know, with, with not a lot of wealth, throwing out stamps drives you crazy. So I, I have 50 stamps by Friday at five o'clock. If I don't write all the letters, I threw out the stamps that I didn't use. 
Ooh. I only have to do this a couple of times to start saying, I'm going to write these letters. Right. So literally every day for the last 20 years, I probably write, um, you know, five to 10 handwritten notes a day. I've been doing this for 25 years. Jeez. To me, it's everything because anyone can send a text or an email, um, but to write someone a note and tell them why you love them, why you respect them, what they did for you meant the world. It, it, it's a lost art. I mean, you go through your mail you get all this junk mail and bills. When you get that handwritten letter, it's like a right, You're totally right. Um, I just think we need to slow down and do things the right way. So I have these little notes. Like just get some little note cards right here that have my name. Yep. And you write these little thing and put it in the mail. It doesn't have to be a long letter. You can write 10. I wrote these small cards because it's, I can only write two or three sentences. Right. right. And half the words are misspelled because I'm dyslexic. But that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. In the mail, people love them. Right. No, you're right. Right behind me in this cabinet right here, I've got a, uh, like a wooden box that I keep every handwritten note, right? Yeah. Every note. And, you know, I don't like go back and read them every day, but you know, it's yeah. one of those things you need a little pick me up or it's kind of nice to see that stuff, but you don't, yeah. you don't keep the text, do you? Yeah. You no. keep the handwritten note. Yeah. yeah. Tony Dungey wrote a book called The Uncommon Life and my stepson was home this weekend applying. He's applying for the United States Air Force Academy. Yeah. Oh, very cool. On Saturday with the Senator's office. And we're talking about, you know, what it's like to live an uncommon life where you write handwritten notes every day and you're following people up and you're volunteering and you're living what you, what, what you preach and you're making choices every day that are different. And I don't want to be like everyone else. Yep. I want to be different. I want to be unique. I want to live my life in such so, areas where, where people are affected uh, and influenced um, in a different way. And, and if I may, that's really the... The topic of my, my next book uh, is, 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 is called 80,000, the, the next book I'm writing. It comes out February of 2020. A-N-Y-thousand? 80. 80,000. 80,000. 80,000. 80, 80, book I'm writing on, it's, I'm so obsessed with the, the, the topic of influence. When I, when I heard this, uh, I actually heard this from my good friend John Gordon years ago. There was some research done that the average human lives to about 78 years old around the world. The average human. And the research that was done years ago said that each person in the world influences negatively or positively 2.8 people a day when you go through your whole life. The hmm. person at Starbucks to the bank teller to your daughter to your neighbor to your employee, but 2.8 people a day we will rub off on negatively or positively in our life. Well, if you take 78 years times 2.8 people a day, it's exactly 80,000 people. Wow. So lifetime, the average human will influence up to 80,000 people. When I heard this research, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And as a, a thought leader, I'm thinking about 80,000 people. That's a lot of people. A lot of people. Person, and, and negatively or positively. So if you gathered all those people that you've influenced in your life, all 80,000 at the end of our lives, where would they fit? In, in this, the United States, if, they, if, if, you, got, if you want to get 80,000 people in one place, where would they fit? They fit in a football stadium like Lambeau Field or University of South Carolina or Notre Dame. These, these, help, these, these stadiums Massive. hold yeah. 80,000 people. And so the book is about what if at the end of our lives, like the last thing that we do before we go to heaven, that every human being on this planet goes to the 50-yard line at your closest football stadium and we're standing on the 50-yard line by ourselves and all 80,000 people 
every person you've influenced in your life since you're a little toddler in the play box. Uh, your entire life, all 80,000 people, negatively or positively, are all in the stadium to say goodbye. And you're standing on the sidelines, looking at everyone, the 50-yard line, looking at everyone. And the question is, hmm. be cheering or would they be booing? Would they be chanting your name, you've changed my life, or would they be cursing your name because you screwed me over? And the whole book is about how do you live a life of positive influence where your stadium is filled with 80,000 fans thanking you for changing your life. So the book wow. is 80,000. It's, it's, it's be published by Random House, Penguin Random House. It comes out in February. And I just think that, you know, we, leadership is so important. But I don't care how many people you've led or how many people you've managed, but you've never heard somebody say, man, Brett, I loved the way he led me. Right. No, they don't say that. He had a huge influence in my life. He changed my life. He had a huge impact on who I am today. And influence and impact are everything. They're, it's, the, it's the game changer. And so that's the pet. That's, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to, wait to read that. I mean, because the whole time you're talking, one, you could, you could feel, and, and so people listen, I would ask you the question, could you feel this guy's passion? Right? You could absolutely feel the passion about the influence. And not the influence, right, to manipulate something and get the sale. The, the influence to change somebody's life. And I was just at a Notre Dame game, my first one ever, just about a month ago. And it was a phenomenal experience. And just the, the tradition, the legacy, all that stuff. Um, but having that stadium filled with somebody that I was in the sandbox with, right? Yeah. To the person that you, you know, impacted today that you don't even know that you impacted. Yeah, that's huge, man. So I'm going to ask you about, I saw on your uh, Instagram page, your influencer. Uh, I hope they don't mess his name up, but Frank DeAngelis. Oh yeah. Talk to us about Frank. Yeah. Tell us who Frank is first. Well, Frank was the, was the principal uh, at Columbine high school uh, for 20, 30 years. And he was at that school for nearly 40 years as a teacher before, but he was the principal on April 21st, 1999 when two gunmen, uh, went into Columbine High School and shot and killed 12 people. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there's been many, many school shootings since. And now Columbine is actually ranked number 12 in the worst school shootings in our country. But, but it was the first, right? And I was the first. And he was the principal. And I didn't know Frank uh, back then. But today, um, since I moved to Colorado, uh, besides my father and my grandfather and maybe another man named Jerry Middle, who's a financial advisor, by the way. <laughs> um, no other man in my life has influenced me more than Frank DeAngelis, top four in my life. And I love him. He sends me a Bible verse and a text every morning telling me how much he loves me. And it's not one of those cut and paste bullshit things that, you know, he sends to 10 people. Right, right. It's, it's to me, Tommy. And he tells me he loves me and why he loves me. Every morning, he's done this for six or seven years. When I'm home, I read the, the Bible verse to my wife and I read him what Frank says. And I say, see, Frank told me he loved me. He was the first person who tells me to love me? Not my wife, but Frank. But Frank was the principal of Columbine. And when Columbine happened, most principals would have quit. Most leaders would have given up. But he went back to that school weeks later and brought those students together. And he told them that we need to change the culture of that school. We need to bring love. We need to bring servant leadership, authentic relationships, heart-led leadership. We need to bring all this to our school because two students didn't feel loved. And he, he apologized. He owned it. He said, I'm the principal. This is my fault. 
because two students didn't feel love, this happened. And if I built a culture of love, this wouldn't have happened. And if you walk the halls of Columbine High School today, 20 years later, 25 years later, today, 2,800 students in that school, black, white, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, black, white, rich, poor, more merit scholars, more state championships in football and baseball, blue ribbon awards. I mean, wow. unprecedented success. The most gifted public school in the country because the man dedicated his life after this tragedy and he turned this tragedy into an incredible triumph of love because he was committed. Just, just one more caveat with Frank. A week after the tragedy, excuse me, two weeks after the tragedy, no one knows wrote it in my book, The Hard Led Leader, but he didn't want to tell people he did this. But this is the humility of this man, Frank. Two weeks after the tragedy, Frank DeAngelis visited the local elementary school in Littleton, Colorado, three miles down the road from Columbine. He went to the kindergartners and he said to them, I know boys and girls, your moms and dad didn't tell you what happened in our, my school two weeks ago because you're kindergartners to protect your innocent ears. But I've come to ask you a favor. You see, we need to change the culture of Columbine. We need to bring love into our school and not just Columbine, but our whole community. It starts right here in the kindergarten class. Will you help me bring love to our community? What do those little boys and girls do? They'll raise their hands. You know, Heck yeah. Do. But then Frank D'Angelo said something to these kids that no leader would have ever said. He said, if you help me bring love to our community, help me change the culture of my school, of our school, I will stay principal until you boys and girls graduate. Oh, God, I got chills, man. And, and the day you boys and girls graduate Columbine High School, I'll retire. So a few years ago, those kindergartners graduated Columbine High School. I, I actually got to speak to the whole senior class. I got to meet them. And wow. Frank literally retired the day after those boys and girls graduated. That's commitment. That's a hell of a story, man. That that's, is commitment. That's, I mean, everyone listening, we have to find something in our life that we are just committed to. I mean, I'm committed to changing the hearts of, of, of leaders, to, to really have them seeing that, that it's not about them. When you're leading people, it's about loving and serving the people that choose to follow you. That's my mission. Yep. What's your mission? What are you committed to? What's your Frank project? Frank just changed my life. And there's not a day that goes by and he doesn't tell me he loves me. And um, I'm really glad that, that I got to meet him. this incredible man. So humble and so genuine. Unbelievable. Thanks for asking about him, Brett. Well, thanks for sharing. I mean, it just, I mean, there's a million questions there, but you know, you think about that as a leader is that is the definition of personal responsibility, isn't it? Mm. I mean, you could have easily blamed all sorts of stuff or walked and this wasn't my deal. This was something somewhere else. But think of the responsibility, man, to go to a, a class, the kinder. I, mean, I have a kindergartner, so that's probably why it was like emotional hearing you yeah. say that, like thinking about my little guy being the one responsible for this O'Fallon High School right over here, and he's years away from there, right? I mean, that, man, that's amazing. Amazing. Which sounds like we need to get Frank on the Circuit of Success podcast. I'd love to make that happen. Yeah. I would too. That when I hang up. All right. Um, well, man, that, that was phenomenal. So thank you so much for sharing that. What, what would you tell yourself looking back at your, uh, your Jersey subs, your, 
you know, other business thing and, and even stuff that maybe happened five and 10 years ago, what would you tell the Tommy Spalding of 10 or 15 years ago? What advice would you give that guy? Mm. Even when you get kicked in the teeth, even when, you know, life throws you some lemons, don't, don't lose the joy. Um, I'm not telling you the whole true story, but when all that happened to me in the last few years, Tommy Spaulding, the, the, the author of these books about love and leadership and, and positive influence, went through some deep depression and really kind of gave up joy on people because my wife ex wanted to hurt me in a way that I, I couldn't comprehend. My ex-business partner didn't want to just settle it. She wanted to hurt me and, and, and really bring me through the mud. And, um, you know, exiting out of the Jersey Mike's thing was, was not a fun process. And I got to see some true colors of some, some pretty tough people. And I really started um, questioning um, people and people's motives. And, um, you know, I had a cousin that, you know, um, that I loved that was in town with his wife and his in-laws and wanted to come over for dinner. And it was like, when you travel to 23 cities a month, 24, 25 cities a month, you only have four or five days a month you get to really spend with your family. And it was one of those days I was on the road, you know, crazy. And I was home and told my cousin, it, it's just not a good time. I, I, I really got to be home with my kids. If, uh, and, and, and he just sent me an email that I was like basically a terrible human being because I, I wouldn't see him. And, you know, you can have things in, in life where you have to make decisions that you think was right for your family or yourself and people are going to let you down and hurt you. And what I would tell myself 10, 15, 20 years ago is don't give up. They're just part of those 10% of people that are those critics and crazies and focus on the 90% of people that want to do life with you in a good, healthy, beautiful way. Because the light world is always filled with critics. No matter what good you want to do in the world, people are going to try to bring you down. And you got to focus on the positives and don't focus on the negative people uh, because we all have them in our lives. Well, that's great. That is phenomenal as well. You, you know, deep thinking with Tommy Spaulding here today, man. I love it. So how, much, how many of the fears you've put in your mind, Tommy, over the, the years have actually blown up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Yeah. You know, if I could tell you why, did you, ask me why I started Jersey Mike's. Why'd you start Jersey Mike's, Tommy? And, and here's, here's why. It's a, it's a $560,000 lesson. Yep. Um, and, this, and it's actually a beautiful lesson. It's a big lesson. Um, I did it because I, I had fear. You mm. see, two number one best-selling books, it's very hard to have three. And when you're on the speaking circuit, you meet all the famous authors, all the great thought leaders, and they all tell you the same thing. Tommy, there's a bell-shaped curve, and you're going to have this success, you know, and your sex is going to go up, and then it's going to go down. And I don't, you've now been on the circuit for 11 years with two best-selling books, and maybe your third book won't do as well. And maybe you sort of start diversifying your income and just in case you're not as successful and you start getting self-doubt. Will my third book be successful like the first two? And will people still want to hire me? And will I still be relevant? And you start self-doubting as we all do. And so I said, well, shit, I'll just start selling cheesesteak sandwiches <laughs> exactly. as, as, a, as, a, as a backup plan. If I own 10 Jersey Mike's and make a million bucks a year selling sandwiches, would it, that, that'll be my backup plan if my books don't sell. 
that's why I started it because I had fear. I let in my head and we all have fear. We all start doing things in our lives to overcompensate this fear. I should know that my third book is maybe just as successful as my first two because I had to believe in myself. And I started not believing myself and started listening to the critics out there. And so don't open a franchise because you, you're afraid of what your, your, you know, your God-given talent's going to be. Yeah. Whatever you're, you're doing in life, follow your passion and work hard at it and the money will come. Well, I think too, when you just said that right there, is I, I have no doubt, Tommy, that your third book, like little, literally no, no doubt that your, your third book will be your most successful book yet. Mm. Like that's what my intuition tells me. That's what my, you know, my gut's telling me. I mean, when you hear you talk about 80,000 hours, it, when you watch this back, if you choose to, you're going to see the passion on your face that was different than the other, you know, 53 minutes and four seconds that we've been talking. Thank right? you. So you're going to crush it. You're going to absolutely crush it. Um, I wrote, I had some, I had a, what I thought was going to be a great, oh, uh, last question for you. So if I could eliminate the, the restraint of time and I could eliminate the restraints of money, what impact are you making? What are you doing? I work with high school kids. That's really where my heart's at. I do the speaking and the, 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 the book writing for corporate America, and, and it's, it's my talent. But where my heart is, is teaching high school kids uh, to, to know how to love themselves so they can love others. Mm. And what I really figured out after 20 years of running, I started a program called the National Leadership Academy. It's a high school leadership program where we have hundreds of high school kids that come to Denver every June. And then we have another program called the Global Youth Leadership Academy where we take kids abroad. This year we're taking 48 kids to um, Norway and 30 kids to Costa Rica. And we take kids all over working with high school kids. And I have a high school kid. Um, and I learned that a lot of high school kids still haven't figured out their, their self-confidence, who they are right. of themselves. And so now that I'm coaching Fortune 500 CEOs, I realize I'm doing the same thing. Is the CEOs that are leading organizations, that are narcissists, that are selfish, that need all the limelight, all the credit, the corner office, that aren't servant leaders, the reason why they're that way, they didn't learn in high school how to truly love themselves. And so after 25 years of leadership development, as a teacher, as a student, here's what I've learned, Brad. It boils down to this. You can't love and serve other people until you know how to love yourself. And I'm not talking about self-love like egotistical love, but right, right, right. who you are. Because not, you're going to take the limelight, you're going to take the credit. You can't be a servant leader. You can't live a life where putting others first is natural. And so I learned this stuff when I was 40, 45, 50. Imagine teaching this stuff to a 16-year-old kid. Oh, it's a game changer. Life changer. And so if I do my job right and I change every high school kid's life, I wouldn't have a job teaching company CEOs how to lead differently because they would have learned it in high school. Well, that might be just as successful as your book because you were pretty damn passionate right there too. So, uh, and I lied to you and I said that was my last question. It's not. A um, couple more here. Uh, when, I, when I say the words reading and think time, how important are those two things for leaders? Just people in general, right? We're all yeah. leaders of whatever level you're at. You're a leader of your own life. Yeah. How important is thinking and reading? Well, you mentioned uh, Matthew Kelly, who's a deep 
dear friend of mine and yours. He's one of the greatest authors of all time. Yep. Something I admire and who's the real deal, by the way. Um, we were talking, we were in Florida together and we we're having uh, coffee and Singer we, Island. Singer Island. Yeah. I've been there with him. That's where I want to retire. Yeah. Yeah. I place down there and hopefully next year. Yeah. Anyway, we're talking about white space. Mm. I was telling Matthew, we don't have enough white space where it's just time to really sit. And when I was in Singer Island, walking the beaches and going for walks and really thinking, we move a thousand miles an hour. This morning, got up at five in the morning, dropped my kid off at hockey, went for a swim, got to the office for eight o'clock staff meeting, and this and this and this and this, move a thousand miles an hour. Where do you think? Where do you dream? Where do you, where do you um, um, strategically think about what's next? And um, we need to pause and have white space. And for me, as being dyslexic, I, I, write, I, I read books on tape, but you know, you're only smarter as the last book you've read. Mm reading books and reading the paper and, and, and knowing knowledge about politics and business and sports and international relations. And it's, it's, we are constantly um, too busy to, yeah. to, to, to learn and we got to find time to read. Yeah. You got to find time to write handwritten notes and you got to find time to be with yourself, be alone and think and ask yourself, how could I change the world better today? I love it. Tommy Spalding, where do our listeners find more of you, man? Where, where can we find you? Oh, I help hate self-promoting, but okay. It's my website. I'm going to make you. <laughs> it's TommySpalding.com. That's S-P-A-U-L-D-I-N-G.com. Awesome. TommySpalding.com. He's also on Instagram. You're a good follow on Instagram. I think we follow each other on there. I know I follow you. Uh, so good stuff. Yeah. Man, it has been a pleasure having you. And yeah. uh, we'll tell Matthew the other one said hello. And I uh, just appreciate you being here. Let's make uh, let's make Frank happen on the circuit of success, too. Let's get him on. I'll here. put that together. Send me an email and I'll connect you guys. All right, man. You're the man. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.